Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, we've got a very special guest. Uh, we just had her uh, her brother on the other week. They are Olympic siblings, as, as rare and as crazy as that sounds. She is a 23-time NCAA All-American. She's a 2008 Olympic bronze medalist, and she is the co-founder of Rise Athletes. Please welcome Caroline Burkle. Caroline, what's up? How's it going? Hey, it's Yes, this is so cool. It was awesome to watch my brother on here the other day. Well, I guess I should say my brother and my dad. Which was like totally, totally not surprising. It just rolls in and <laughs> has a conversation. Dude, he, tot- he totally bombed Clark's podcast. He like talked to Mel for 10 minutes. That was hilarious. Yeah. And it's, to- it's absolutely not shocking either. It's my dad for you. He's just a hoot. And just roll right in and have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's just him. Uh <laughs> I think I think something that speaks to your character was that we were supposed to get on a couple of days ago, and you had to you couldn't because you took your friend to the hospital because they had needed stitches. Yeah, we have got some um, uh, we've got some dangerous souls that go to the ocean and do all sorts of things. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I I feel like um, I get in these like fight or flight maybe maternal instinct places where I'm like, I can save the world, you know, but of course, if something happens to me, it's like, everyone leave me alone. I've totally got this on my own. Like, (laughs) I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do everything by myself. I'll take myself to the ER. (laughs) But yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, which was good. It's actually, um, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, rewarding experience to feel like you can help someone. So who knows? We'll see. Absolutely. I, I hope I hope this friend is okay, but I feel like that's a total swimmer athlete mindset to have of like if if, if there's something wrong with you, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm fine. I can handle yeah. it. Yeah, I've done I've learned the hard way with that. Um I'm trying to learn to ask for help at this point in my life. It's like it's a thing I'm working on specifically is being okay asking for help. So I'm trying to practice the things uh, with others so that I can ask for help and it's not a guilt trip feeling or anything like that. Um, Yeah. You're how that works, right? If you give, you receive and you can work on that. If you give, then you're owed. So I'm assuming the first thing you said to this friend was, okay, when I get stitches, just remember this. You owe me big time. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. That's, that's not how it works. We're so, so we'll get into that. We'll we'll get into uh, learning how to ask for help in a bit, but we mentioned, as we mentioned, we had Clark on earlier. Um, So I want to start, I want to start there. I want to start at the beginning Growing up in a household like that, where everyone is so athletic and competitive, give me the rundown, you know, put me there. What was it like as a kid? Um, You have two younger brothers, and they're both very athletic. You are also very athletic, and I'm sure you guys are all super competitors. Yeah, Clark and Colin, and Colin's 11 years younger than I am. Clark and I are, what, 19, 20 months apart or something like that. So. Um, growing up, it was Clark and I, you know, so we had, uh, we're very opposite. We're, we're very, very much the opposite human when it comes to competition and he nailed it, you know, Caroline's sort of in for the social aspect or, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, he was a competitor, like Clark is a competitor. He, um, growing up, he was always staying after practice to practice his pro dives and, you know, he, he would always challenge the older athletes in practice and say like, Oh, let's race a 50, you know, and practice is over and he's trying to get up on the blocks and continue racing. Meanwhile, I'm already, you know, dried off and at the, at the like concession stand getting a icy or whatever, you know, I, sure. I 
was learning from him. And it's something that I think removed this far out of it, especially being retired this long. And, and now that he's been retired too, we've had conversations about how much we helped each other and how much, you know, we didn't realize that as kids, but our opposite tendencies and the way that we moved in the world and operated in the world competitively uh, was really helpful. So he was very dialed into times and stats and race splits. And he knew all of my times, all of my splits, like <laughs> how many times I breathed on every lap, you know, and, and I would be over, so overwhelmed with that. Like that would overwhelm me so much to know any of that information. So his brain was working in this logical space and he could help bring me into that. And my brain was working in this like body movement and fluid and like feeling and huh. energy of the place. And, you know, um, like worry, I would worry a lot about competitors and if they were mad at me, if I beat them and all these like emotional aspects of the sport. And so I think I was able to um, help him have more of a, an enjoyable time behind the blocks and smiling and enjoying life. And he was helping me focus and rein in and, and understand myself as an athlete. So he's a brilliant, like I always tell him like, and, and I say it to a lot of people, like he's the smartest swimmer I've ever met. Like he's the smartest athlete, swimmer athlete, as far as like knowing the sport, like the best student of the sport that I've ever met. Um, that just was not me. So we were very competitive, but we had a very opposite way of competing. Mine was silent and sort of this like slide in and like do that thing. <laughs> and his was like, no, I'm going to show up and it's going to happen. Like, right. Now. <laughs> He's a fighter. He's a good one. He's, he always, you could always count on Clark for sure. Yeah. So that's so interesting because I'm guessing, I mean, you guys trained together a lot. Um, um, how, how, how do you think that affected how your coach approached you, how, how, how they approached Clark? I mean, because it seems again, like you said, total opposites in the water. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of trial and error. I think our coach growing up, Mike DeBoer, he's a legend. Like Mike has produced so many insane athletes out of Lakeside. And he was just He's a very, he's probably the, the most father figure style coach. And also like, um, he's just a smart people person. So he mm -hmm. can read people's energy. And I think that as a coach was a really powerful and helpful tool that he could have for us and for our teammates as well. But understanding what each of us needed separately, instead of clumping every athlete into the same category. And it's hard when you have 70 athletes on a team and, and how you're working with all that, you know what I mean? But yeah. he was able to dial in everybody and, and really have a very a broad awareness of what people needed. Um, so I think that was really helpful. And he was also big on communication. So communicating with him, I think helped him understand us better individually for what we needed. Um, like he couldn't tell me what to do before a race. Like that wouldn't work for me. Like, but mm -hmm. for Clark, he needed like, okay, first, first fifties, 26, five, second fifties, this, we need like three, three breaths off, you know, this, this, this. And he's like, cool. Got it. I'm like, what just happened? I can't. He, so he would just say, go race or uh -huh. tempo this, or, you know, like feel, I want you to feel this on the third 50. And so I was like, oh, feel, okay. I got it. So he was very good at reading the individual. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's super interesting. Um, and so as a, as I guess, as a high school kid, um, what were, it's, it's, again, it's easy for me to kind of picture like, oh, okay, like, Clark knew all these numbers, he knew all these stats. So he probably had these kind of goals. But if you were going by feel and stuff, uh, obviously, you were still very competitive. Did you have specific time goals or did you have, you know, Oh, I want to beat this person. What did your goals look like? I had like a macro vision. So I would see things. I, I didn't know time. Like I didn't really pay attention to times, but my goals were, I could see myself at zones already, like okay. at the facility, at the pool, on the team. I could see myself at all stars. I could see myself at sectionals or junior. We had junior nationals at that point. Um, I could see myself in those places. Like I could, 
I was very, I'm very visual and imagery. So I could see myself actually at that arena competing. And to me, that's how I was striving forward to get to that goal. So it's a very like creative way of getting there, but I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. I didn't know really how to set specific goals like that. I remember sitting down with Mike and he would just tr- like, a, he would try to get me to, to say my times that I wanted to go. And I would say things like, I, I don't want to say that because then it's not going to happen. You know, I'm very superstitious. Like I just need to paint the picture of what I want to happen instead of write down a number. Um, so that's what goals looked like to me. They looked like visions and images and I could literally close my eyes and feel myself at the thing doing the race and at the place. And to me, that's how I set that. I know I'm weird. I just, <laughs> I'm a very, very strange as I was a very strange athlete. Like it took a lot for coaches to understand me in college too. And to get to that place. Cause it's like, I, I just didn't, I don't see none of us see the world the same as the other person, but I didn't see things the way that were like the conventional, like, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And now it's, different but 2000 to 2004 to 2008 that span of time it's not we're not in the same places we are now like people we're not as progressive with like different ways that humans learn and different things like that as far as talking about it so I always felt really weird and like no one understood me (laughs) I think everyone in high school feels really weird and like no one understands them but yeah but I mean, it sounds like you had a really, really unique perspective. I mean, I'm fascinated to hear all this because I've never heard an athlete, a swimmer talk about their goals in the way that you just did. And I think that's um, really cool to hear such a different perspective. Um, so, So you said it took your coaches a while to Florida to kind of get a feel for that as well. Um, talk, talk me through that process. You know, when you got to Florida, what were the changes that you had to go through that your coaches kind of had to adapt to? Yeah. So, um, I came out of high school, like pretty, pretty good. I came out of high school, like one of the top recruits for 200, 500. And I, I remember going into Florida and I think that the, um, expectation was one thing for me and mine was another thing which I didn't even know what it was at that point. I was, (laughs) what's happening. But of course you go into the University of Florida. It's like the hardest training place in the country. One of the hardest training, Um, especially when we were there. And, you know, coach Troy was my main coach, but I mainly went there because Martin Wilby was uh, like best friends with Mike DeBoer. So it felt like family. Um, So I got to Florida and immediately you know, I, I wasn't, um, I was off on the right foot. I did really well immediately. I was like, cool, new environment, new stimuli. My body handles this well. Like, let's just, let's do this. Um, until sophomore year when I wasn't, uh, doing well at all. And it's mainly because I had all these expectations based on my freshman year and how well I did from coach Troy and him and I were like, boom, boom, boom. Like we could not see eye to eye for that entire year. It was, it was a really, really tough year. And I wanted so badly for him to understand me, but I didn't have the tools to explain how I learned. Um, and I didn't know how to communicate that. And I don't think he knew how to communicate that to me. So we just kept like butting heads on the best way to train. So he's sending me outside with Nesty's group for you know, we're doing 10, 1000s for time. And I'm over here getting lapped every 200. And Nesty's like, why is Burkle in my group? Like she doesn't, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's a great Nesty impression. <laughs> yeah. So then he's sending me back inside with the middle distance group. And then Troy's like, no, she needs to train distance. And, and finally we realized um, that we weren't communicating it. No one really understood what I was feeling and experiencing. So, um, you know, long story short, I, I was not a practice swimmer. I swam like absolute dog crap in practice. Like I, I was not a trainer. I'm not a trainer. I'm a racer, not a pacer, not, not. (laughs) So, um, 
him and that coach Troy and I had a come Jesus moment. We like had a four hour conversation in his office one day, uh, literally four hours. He missed all of practice and I'm sobbing and he's mad and I'm mad. And then we finally came to this place where it was like, I don't feel like I'm the kind of athlete that is the conventional thing. Like, this is what I see. This is how I experience it. Mm -hmm. And so he heard me and then I heard his expectations. And then we came to this place of like, okay, then let's try what works for your body and what works for, for you. And I just literally trained middle distance, stayed in the weight room a little bit longer. Um, like every week I was in there three instead of two times training middle distance, not as much distance. And I was lights out after that, like great, but it took a while is my point. It took me, you know, it took until like middle of my junior year for us to get to a place where I was feeling clear with, with like how to train and what I needed. Um, so it's just a testament to communicating with your coach and, and it, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> like, like it was really hard and it was, it was a really, really hard time for me. Like sophomore year, I wanted to quit every single day. I think I did quit actually like three times and didn't come back. to <laughs> <Three practice. times>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it happened again after NCAAs my senior year. I won NCAAs in my events. I broke Janet Evans' uh, American record. And I was like, I need a break afterwards. And of course he's like, no, we're training for trials. Yeah. And, and so I quit again for like three days. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I just didn't know how to handle and connect and communicate at that point. Um, and so that was like the number one thing that helped me as an athlete. Yeah. I think, commu- I think communication is key and I think communication is really, really hard um, yeah. in, in anywhere you go, but especially when you're, um, an 18, 22 year old kid who has a lot of expectations like that. I mean, man, yeah, it's, it seems like a hard situation. It seems like there were some definite ups and downs. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think, so was it your junior year when Clark arrived on campus? Yeah. So, uh, my junior year Clark got there and I was so excited like I was so excited and I felt this sense of, um, you know, I was like a big sister. Like I wanted to make sure he had a good time there. Um, but I also didn't want him to just follow or not follow, but just, you know, I wanted him to have his own experience at Florida and I, you know, he didn't stay there obviously. Um, but it was such a special experience. Like I will always be forever grateful that I got to spend a couple of years with my brother in college. Like, Oh my gosh. So cool to be able to compete on the same team as him, you know, wearing the same colors. Um, and just having that, uh, camaraderie and, you know, going through the times that we were going through personally as well. I think it was, it was cool. It's cool to think back and look back at it now, you know? Um, and yeah, that was, it was super cool. And also I was really proud of him when he made the decision to move on. Um, I was done. Well, I was done with college swimming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his journey was definitely inspiring. Um, and I, yeah, I really enjoyed being there with him. I, I enjoy the process of things. So that was special. Yeah, I thought I I totally thought. <laughs> so we talked to him about this, and he was super open. And he was like, yeah, "Yeah, like at that age, you know, it like Florida was not a great fit for me. Greg and I really bumped heads a lot. I was kind of a hothead, and I wanted to do things my way. And I thought, like, I, I you know, I thought I knew what was going on." And so I thought I was going to ask you about it. You were going to be like, oh my God, he was so annoying. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, well, here's the thing is that I, I saw him. So, okay. So this, I'm like a very, I see things that right. So I, I saw his heart there. Like I saw him struggling and, and I recognized that it, it was deeper than what it looks like on the surface. It's not just, you know, 
like, yes, Clark had a hot head or whatever, you know, he said, but he also didn't feel heard or understood. Like he, something was, wasn't working for him, you know? And so, um, like, it's so, I, I could get like emotional about it because I was so inspired by him choosing himself when he mm-hmm. moved forward that it inspired me to look into that part of myself even more. But it was like, he chose to not continue following that pattern for himself and to put himself outside of, of that patterning where he's just like in a chaotic environment, wanting to feel you know, heard and not feeling heard and, and putting on that, like, I'm tough. I've got it. Everybody get out of my way, you know, mindset. And he chose himself and he did, he went and did something for himself. And I was over here like, Oh my gosh, I don't even, I feel, I feel like I'm horrible at that. At that point in my life, I was like, I'm horrible choosing myself. Like it. And that was so empowering. And I know how hard that was for him, but you know, at Florida, we both, um, supported each other a a lot. And I think that we went through something almost together that was difficult. And he, he was very protective of me. So I felt like, even though he may have had his moments, he never, he always protected me or like stuck up for me or held, you know, he, he was just, he's just that kind of guy. Like he will take a bullet for his sister kind of thing. So I felt protected <laughs> as a big sister. So I think maybe that's like, that was my vision of it at like age 19, 20. It's like, oh yeah, my brother's here. He's so protective. <laughs> um, you know, like you got, you just have that feeling and that vibe from your brother. So, um, which yeah. was cool. That was cool for me. That, I mean, it's, again, it's so cool to get your perspective on that. Uh, like we just talked about, communication is key. And if, if, if you're an athlete, you feel like you're not being heard, it's a big deal. And, uh, it's, it's not going to probably not going to lead to a ton of success, at least in the long term. I think one thing that like I've seen from, from going around to so many college programs is that, you know, each, each college does things their own way. And each athlete is just, you know, has has to find a good fit for them and if if kids transfer you know every time we report on a transfer there's people in the comments who are like oh this coach must be terrible oh this athlete must be whatever and i think what it comes to like 90 percent of the time what it comes down to is that it's just not the right fit right like the communication isn't happening there um which is super interesting and i think kind of like you said you shed some light on that yeah. And, and I think as a society, we're starting to learn more reasons why things like this happen instead of just pointing fingers and blaming people and saying like, this didn't work and you're, that's your fault and it's your this. And, and instead of playing that victim role and then pointing fingers and blaming, it's like kind of asking yourself, what's my role in this situation? Like, you know, you got to take that personal responsibility and say, how can I remove either remove myself from something that doesn't feel good or see what, what I'm um, creating or causing in this situation, you know? So it takes two, everybody has their patterning in their life that causes their behavior. And if we as athletes don't understand that, and we're continually just trying to like talk about times and numbers and practice and splits and and this and equipment and travel and whatever, we're not getting to actually, we're not being students of the sport. Like it's not, we're not working in that way. And so I think by learning our patterning and learning how we are as athletes, that's how things are going to start to become better, you know, societally and within um, the sport of swimming, especially every sport, but you know, in this case, swimming, we're talking about swimming. So yeah, I could go down that rabbit hole for a while. (laughs) I won't. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'll, I could, I could too. I think it's super interesting. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll touch on it later, but um, so, yeah. you know, we mentioned uh, junior year, you kind of had that breakthrough where you and Troy were able to communicate. And then you mentioned that senior year where you broke Janet Evans 500 free record. You, you won the 200 free. I want to touch on something. You were also an SEC champion in breaststroke. Yeah. That was uh, my first. I was, a breaststroker before a freestyler. So okay, those were my first junior national cuts. And 
Yeah. And then I pivoted to freestyle. I don't really know why. I think I tore my hip flexor in high school or something and then had to train freestyle. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, breaststroke. I swam breaststroke in college at SECs because coach Troy wanted me to either swim the mile or win the 200 breaststroke. <laughs> I'm not going to swim the mile. Like that's not happening. So I was like, I'll absolutely win the 200 breaststroke. Or the <laughs> so two years in a row, I won the 200, I won the hundred back like one year after the next and only literally because I felt like I had, I was on the chopping block. Like if I didn't do this, like I would have to swim the mile next year. Kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you don't want to go on like that. Like, all right, Burkle, you don't want to swim the mile, then you better win the 200 breaths. And I'm like, all right, bring it. Like I'll show you. <laughs> Did you even train breaststroke in college? <laughs> I did. I trained breaststroke Tuesday, Thursday mornings. Uh, I am. So I swam, I trained really well with the guys. Um, so they threw me in with the boys all the time. And so I would swim with all the, I am guys. Um, yeah. Which was like literally someone from every country except for America. (laughs) It was amazing. I was like, this is great. I just have so much like you know, I, I have so much respect for everybody, but I did train breaststroke. I trained breaststroke Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, I mean, I feel like no one comes to mind. You have to be the only person who has a mid distance American record in freestyle or in freestyle and a conference championship <laughs> in breaststroke. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like, I feel like it's, yeah, you're right. I guess it is kind of weird. It's, it's uh, a little, it's pretty rare. I mean, I think on the men's side, Andrew Sellers car won the two free two breasts at NCs in 2019. But like, other than, we thought we all thought that was like the first time anyone had done something like that. Yeah. I really love breaststroke. Um, I just, yeah, I was just better at freestyle. So I only swam breaststroke at SECs and then at NCAAs, I swam the 200, 500, and hundred. And that's also another thing. So I had to final top five in the hundred or (laughs) to the mile. (laughs) So it was, it was still another, like, so I still had that, like, you know, whole vision where I had to compete in something other than the mile or else I had four years of college swimming two miles. I think one was at a dual. Yeah. Oh, I really was making sure that like that. And he was just wanting it to happen so bad. He's like, come on. I wanted to swim the mile. And I was like, absolutely not. I'll swim the 800 long course. That's fine. Yeah. That's Uh, like half. (laughs) Yeah. It's half. And also it's, yeah, it's just different. Right. It's Uh, that, that can definitely be thrown into like the mid D category. Yeah. And I think he wanted me to swim the mile because I had a really good turn. Like my turns were strong because my, my legs are my dominant like thing in, in swimming for the most part. And, and so he was like, Oh, the mile short course, she has all these walls. Like she can jump off these walls. You know, I still didn't make it happen, you know? And then my case for that was, well, breaststroke his legs. So I'll just do that instead. And That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Smart. Um, okay. So, uh, sorry, I'll try to try to get back on track. I'm just geeking You're out good. over here. I'm uh, a fan of one anyway. <laughs> take, take me through that last NCAAs where you swam, where you won the 200 free, won the 500 free, um, I top 500 free, I'm assuming. Um, but you know, take me through that meet and kind of the, where, where were you at for those three days? Um, it's such a whirlwind. It was at Ohio state, which is also where my brother won NCAAs, which is super cool. Um, yeah, I know. Super cool. Um, You know, I, again, going back to the goal setting about what I see Mm -hmm. myself doing, I could vision, I could envision myself at that meet beating that time. I didn't have the number in my head, but I had the, the feeling and the image of me like touching the wall and, and winning and beating that time. 
Um, so Janet Evans time was something I wanted forever. Of course, I didn't share that with that many people. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was 18 years old and I knew that I could do it. And I also knew that if I could set myself up for that, it's a stepping stone to the Olympics and to make the Olympic team. So, um, yeah, the, the 500 was the first day. So I just went for it. And I will say, and I cannot say this for very many races, if any at all, that was the most favorite race of my life. Not only that, I had so much energy at the end. Like I could have kept going for another 400 or something. And like when I touched the wall, I remember being mad because I was like, wait, I thought I had another hundred. And like, I remember <laughs> double reds and I was like, wait, I need to go faster. Like I have energy. This is weird. And so I remember touching the wall being like, I, I know deep down in my soul, I could have gone a 429 or, you know, like, honestly, like I went a 433 and I know at that point in time, I could have gone under 430 with how much energy I had at the end. So it's like one of my regrets, but also not a regret. Um, but I cannot say the same for any other race, like the 200 hurt, like hell, you know, um, the hundred hurt like hell, but that 500 for some reason was so smooth and effortless. And I don't know if it's because I had played that image in my head so many times that it became an autopilot. Um, but yeah, so my NCAA experience was really cool. I was really admittedly very nervous afterward though. Like I felt the pressure when I was done because the Olympic trials were in three months, you know? Um, and so I was like, well, crap, it's real now. Like <laughs> I have to do something now, right? Like I just did this and I have to do that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was a cool experience. Uh, so, I mean, like you said, you, you were, you were ready to quit. You were, you were ready to take a break after NCAAs. Um, and then heading into Olympic trials. I mean, for anyone who's ever been to that meet, it's a pressure cooker. You can feel the tension in the air. I mean, it's just, there's so much emotion. There's so much, it's heavy, right? Yeah. When you walk into that pool in Omaha, um, like you said, you could feel the pressure the minute that meet ended. Um, how did you deal with that heading into that meet? Um, you know, I, I was nervous. I also had prepared those three months really well mentally. Um, Cause I, I firmly believe that a lot of it is training your mind, which is obviously why I do what I do now. But um, I prepared a lot for that and I do well under pressure. So I knew that I would do well. Like I knew that I would do well. Um, after the first night I got fourth in the 400 by like, you know, second, I think it was one, two. And then I forget who was third. I don't even remember now, but we literally touched the same time. So it was third and fourth were the same. So basically we just missed making the team, you know? So I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, that, that was rough. But at the same time, Katie and Allison for sure should have made the team, you know, like that was a no brainer. So we were all best friends too. So we're all right there together. Uh, so I knew that after that night that I had to step up for the 200. And um, so I did. And that was maybe the most painful race of my whole life. I don't, I didn't feel my body the entire last 50 of that race to make the team. I, I couldn't tell you where my arms or legs were at all. Like <laughs> total numbness. Um, but you just have this heart, you know, this grit where you just know. And, and again, I had envisioned it. So it's like, you just know that you can do that. And, and it becomes all heart and all trust and all grit and just sheer willpower at that point. So, um, trials is, it's a pressure cooker. I mean, I was super exhausted. That meat just takes it all out of you. And especially if you are an athlete that gets, you know, CNS nervous system fried easily in general, it's not only a physical CNS fryer, it's an mental and emotional Fryer, but it the environment carries you through because it's such a cool feeling to be there inside of a basketball arena and with the lights off and the whole thing. Um, but yeah, 
trials was intense. (laughs) (laughs) I remember getting out of the 200 free and coach Troy was like, you should have won that like right away before anything, like right when I got out and I was like, dude, I just made the team. Like, can we just like breathe for five seconds? Like I can't even walk. I'm so dead, you know, but I remember him just like laying it into me that I should have made that should have gotten first (laughs) race if I didn't die the way I did. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) What a guy. What a Um, guy. Oh, so, so, so you make the team, um, and, and then, then, then you're off to Beijing, uh, compare, like, can you even compare an Olympic trials to an Olympics? I mean, I'm, is there less pressure? Was there more pressure for you? Um, was, was the experience more enjoyable than trials? What was that like actually being at your first games? Oh, it's, it's surreal. It, <clears throat> again, it's, it's different because you don't have to qualify for something, but you are trying to, to win medals for your country. Um, Beijing was unique because it's China. It's just, it's, it's a difficult place to, you know, navigate in general. So um, it was, almost it was I don't know it was very it was reversed we had prelims at night and finals in the morning it's less pressure feeling environment to be honest um but I really enjoyed the Olympics I thought it was amazing it's it's sort of a whirlwind and I'm sure a lot of people that have gone can say the same thing you're just like like you get there and it's like you're just you're in this place of autopilot mode where you are just there to perform. And, um, but the, all of the new stimuli you have to adapt to and adjust to, which is, is a challenge at first. So, uh, that's why you go out so early, but it was a cool experience. I really, um, you know, I struggled with my mental health during, um, Palo Alto during training camp. I was like, but like, just, I just need, I just need a break. I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this. I was going through some personal stuff and then I've got like coach on me and this, and I'm training with people I don't know, and I'm not doing well in practice. And then there's this pressure to perform in practice around these people that never see you at practice. So they're not the same. They don't understand that you suck at practice like I did. And so I'm (laughs) sitting there feeling horrible. And like, thank God for Schmitty because Allison and I were both like, not the best practice trainers, but we were, so we like stuck together. Cause we were like two and three, like just stick together. And, um, I mean, that saved me. She's cause she's just such a light and a joy. And I, I really needed that at that time. Um, so by the time I got to the Olympics, I was doing better, but for sure training camp was one of the more mentally challenging things for me. I was struggling <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, Um, it's, it's a different time. You just have this high and now you're like back on the low and then you've got to like build back up to the high and you don't really know where you are in here. Like, how do I train for something in three weeks? And I don't really know what's going on, you know? So to me, that uncertainty and that lack of safety of like, what am I doing was a challenge. Um, so yeah, sort of a caveat there. Well, tangent, I meant, (laughs) I mean, that's, It sounds like a lot, right? I mean, and like you said, just that emotional high of qualifying. And then, and then, you you know, if like you said, you're just like sucking air and practice with all these other people you're supposed to. Yeah, it sounds intense, but um, you were able to perform at the Olympics. Like you said, it was an enjoyable experience. You got a bronze medal. Um, So let's talk about post swimming now. Um, so after you retired in 2010, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me about those first few years after swimming. What, you know, I mean, I think every swimmer can, can tell, can tell anyone that after, after you step away from something you've done for so long, there's certainly a hole and there's certainly a period where you're saying, asking yourself, like, who am I if I'm not a swimmer? And I can only imagine for someone um, of the caliber of athlete that you were, that was also happening. 
Yeah. Um, like this, this chapter of my life almost has so much complexity and density that I could do like a three hour talk on it, you know, at this point, but to yeah. condense it, um, I retired in 2010. I remember the moment I retired, I was, did the 200 free we're at Irvine. I just was so, so checked out. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I remember touching the wall and knowing like, this is it. Went to the warm down pool. I sit on the side and I'm just sobbing and Amanda Beard comes up to me and she just puts her arm around me and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I just, I just can't do this anymore. I love it so much, but I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels doing the same thing. And I want to be more in life. And in that moment, I remember not knowing what that would be. Like I had no clue what more was. I'd sort of set myself up in this time. I was going to fashion school. Um, Katie Hoff and I had lived together, you know, in Newport for a couple of years training. And then I had moved to LA um, for fashion school. I was living with Haley Pearsall. And then I, I just, my whole life was just gone. It felt like in an in instant. Um, and especially for someone as, sensitive and, you know, emotionally, creatively inclined, like I am, I take things really hard. Like I take it to heart because my heart and my whole system feels it before my head, you know? So I went through a period of years there where I was just chasing and running after anything I could to do to feel significant. Mm -hmm. Um, this running race here, this here, this degree here, you know, moved seven times. I, I moved back to uh, Louisville at one point just to get help. I was 30 pounds lighter than I am now, maybe, which was like 40. Well, I don't even know. I was not healthy. Let's put it that way. Um, and I just was in a space where I didn't know my worth as a human. I didn't know what I was good for at all. And I had gone through some experiences during my career that I don't speak about very much to the public, but that were traumatic for me. And so when I retired, it was like a trauma response. Like everything was just this giant trauma response of like, I don't deserve to be here. Like, I don't want to be here. Like I'm not good enough. So, you know, and, and we talk about this as athletes, you know, Allison Schmidt does a wonderful job talking about mental health and depression. And I was just, I didn't know how to talk about that because I didn't have the tools to talk about it, but it also wasn't something you really spoke about in 2010, 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. Now it's become, it's coming to light, but I was this like mentally, you know, unhealthy human in a shell of myself, like chasing worth and identity. And so I, I moved back home. I didn't live at home, but I moved to Louisville. And, um, you know, by the way, throughout this whole time, my brother was so supportive. Like he may not have understood a thing I was going through and he was also still competing and going to the Olympics and doing all this. And I try to keep it so separate, but he was so supportive of me. I would go to Arizona and I would stay with him and Jean Basson and Matt Grievers and just, and we would just have the best time ever. And I, like, I just need to include that in there because if it weren't for him, I don't know, you know, what I would have done. Like I didn't, I didn't know who to talk to about anything. And he knew all of what I was feeling and still could compete the way he did, you know? So, um, so anyway, um, I ended up going to the university of Tennessee and getting my master's in sports psychology. Um, and I felt this pull to do this because I felt like I wanted to change that for former athletes that have retired that, you know, um, and I wanted to change that for youth athletes, like to where people understand who they are as humans and they understand, um, the psychology of sport and also the, the identity psychology of sport, like how both work hand in hand. Um, so I was still working through it all there, obviously in Tennessee. And then I moved back out here to California and I've been in California ever since 2014 or 15. Um, and it wasn't until then that everything caught up to me as well. So I had been running, 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 doing all these things. And then it was like, bam. Um, 
and I know this is a really long-winded story, but I think it's really important for people to hear. Um, yeah, I, I just, I know how many people, yeah. Okay. So I moved out here and, um, immediately within a year, I broke my heel twice. I found out I have some health complications with autoimmune stuff. I had trauma responses left and right. I would stay in my house and just sob my eyes out and like scream at the top of my lungs. Like, I don't know who I am or what I'm doing. And I was so like hurt. I was hurting so bad and I didn't know what to do. I was like, this feels so weird to me. Like, how could I go from the top of my game and living life just in this amazing place and having a family, you know, doing, doing all these things to realizing all this pain that I carry that I haven't healed. I've been running away from it for eight years now. Um, and so my body told me to stop. And when my body told me to stop, I realized that my mind needed to heal something like your body tells you first. And it told me just like any injury we have, like anything that happens, like slow down and reassess what's going on right now. Like what is, what is going on with your body that you're holding that is causing you this much mental distress and pain. And that was like the hardest realization because not only did I break my heel once I broke it twice, I got septic knee and was in the hospital. Then I split my skull open and had a concussion staples and stitches. And I couldn't even think for a year. So I had like literally three years of straight injury and, and like physical ailments and keep in mind, I didn't have any of that when I swam. (laughs) Like, I think I got a cold twice and like had a hip problem, like maybe once or something. Um, but it was this time that I finally realized like, this is a really important moment for you to recognize that you haven't been feeling worthy to just exist in this world as you, that you think that you are only a good human because of the thing you did and also heal your traumas. (laughs) So I was like, all right, I'll do these things now. So that's like, I'm like just coming out of it this past year, but this, um, this, that journey was like four years long. And from the moment that I finally recognized that I needed to get help, again, in a more serious way to this. So, um, yeah. So when I moved out to California, it was just a series of things that started to tick away, ticking time bomb of like, you got to slow down and figure out what's going on. Cause you can't run from yourself forever. You can't run from your pain forever. You can't run away forever and try and, and have that be the thing. Like you've done that. You've done that. Didn't work, you know? So um, anyway, so I, I have gone through a lot, I would say, and I, I never really know how to talk about it. I still haven't really, I broached the topic of depression and stuff a couple of times, but, um, what I'm working through is not feeling sorry for, uh, asking for help with that or for sharing those experiences. Doesn't mean I didn't have a wonderful career. Doesn't mean that I didn't have a great time. It's just that my personal experience with transition was really, really hard. Um, And I think a lot of athletes could benefit from that because it doesn't mean that you can't, even if you're struggling in sport, it doesn't mean that you can't perform well. You can still perform well. It's just also pay attention to your mental health. Like when the time comes for you, don't run from it. Like just whatever you do, don't run from it. Cause that's, you know, that's something that's really important. Um, But yeah. It was a, that's a very abbreviated version, but it was, it's been a really beautiful experience to, um, to heal from that and to have so much gratitude for that chapter of my life. Um, it makes it interesting for me to reflect on, like, you know, so yeah, I could go on. (laughs) So, so let's, let's tie this in to what you're doing with rise. Um, you know, you are a co-founder of rise athletes with, uh, your Olympic teammate, Rebecca Sony, um, virtual mentoring program, um, where professional and Olympic athletes empower youth athletes 
with transferable skills to impact sport and life performance. Um, so when, when did that, when did that journey start for you? Um, and, and how has that been, or has it been, you know, impacted your personal journey as well? Yeah. So during the whole like spiel I just gave that happened in right when I graduated from grad school. So Mm -hmm. I was in my parking lot of my apartment complex and Rebecca and I had talked this whole time about how we weren't sure who we were. Like we'd had this identity conversation all the time. So all of a sudden she gives me a call one day and she says, I have this idea. I've been working with some athletes on FaceTime on mindset development. And I know that you're really passionate about this. And I would love to give you that opportunity to share what you learned in sport and, and, and about identity with these athletes and hearing, I'm like, I can't do this yet. I'm not even like, I don't even understand what I'm doing, you know? Um, but we started it literally right then and there. So like a couple of weeks later, we had Christy Kowal on our team, you know, so we're just bringing people in to work with these athletes on mindset development, totally rogue, like just creating this curriculum off the fly. Say totally rogue. Uh, yeah. We just like, we just <laughs> have like Excel spreadsheets and like, PayPal, you know, like we didn't even know what we were doing. And, and then all of a sudden it went to this, we've grown this business over five years. So this was in 2015. Um, but we started it because we wanted to solve two problems. We wanted to solve the problem of Olympic athletes and professional athletes, not having anywhere to go when they're done or not sure what to do. And then youth athletes, understanding the power of mindset development for both sport and also life. So identity and empowerment and confidence building all mindset techniques, visualization, self-talk work, all of that. And we felt like those tools in their toolbox, not only help them as athletes now, but it's going to help them as humans later. So Mm -hmm. we created this synergetic synergistic relationship between the two people. And um, now we have over 30, some odd mentors, uh, Olympians, professional athletes, national team athletes, a lot of swimmers that you guys may know. We've got uh, Kendall Stewart, Leah Gingrich, Natalie Hines, Katie Hoff, Elizabeth Beisel, Christy Kowal. Like we've got a ton of swimmers um, and it's all virtual. So we were COVID prepared and um, it's been a, it's been a ride, you know, like Rebecca and I have had our ups and downs with the business and this and that and the other, but we have like, really enjoyed building this. Um, and as a personally to relate to what you're saying, as far as my journey, mm-hmm. um, I think it helped me heal a lot. Um, I was running away from swimming and the sport. I didn't touch a pool for five years. I wanted to get the hell out of everything. To be honest, being on this podcast right now is huge because you asked, you would have asked me a year ago. I would have said, no, I, I could even two years ago maybe not a year ago, two years ago, because I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to interact with the thing that I loved so much. And like, I didn't know how to do it anymore. And so this has helped me because I love helping others and giving these opportunities to these people. Um, so it's a really cool, I think we, we heal by helping others and, and seeing others as well. So I think across the board, everybody, everybody wins. I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's, it's, if, if you check out, uh, is it riseathletes.com? Rise athletes, rise-athletes.com. Yeah. Rise-dash, rise, rise-athletes.com. Um, like she said, 30 plus mentors. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there and a lot of former swimmers who are now gainfully employed there and, and giving back to the community of the sport that they did for so long, love so much. Um, last thing, just, just a, a cool thing that you do that I think is uh, really interesting. You do human form art. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm guessing this is, this is also a form of, um, your journey, your healing, your process. Um, and so I, I, I wanted to ask about that, but the, the art that you do, it, it seems, Again, human form art, um, imp- uh, to me, it just seems so human. It seems like you're um, drawing human forms that aren't, you know, super, 
what's what's the right way to phrase this? They're just very um, abstract. They're abstract. So sorry, I'll stop talking. Yeah. Tell, tell me about this art form and what it's given to you. Yeah. So um, I was always into art uh, just as a background. That was like my call or my high school IB program. Uh, I was an art and then uh, in college, I didn't really have time to do it because of swimming. <laughs> and um, then I went to fashion school. So I, I revisited it there. Uh, during the time that I was going through my depression and working through, working through that, I didn't make any art at all. So about two years ago, I started drawing a little bit every day. And I actually started when I got my concussion because I couldn't, I was um, like, I couldn't formulate sentences really because I had a really gnarly hematoma and whatever. Um, so I started drawing art again and I started drawing the human form. I started drawing fashion sketches and that turned into this. So what I learned through that process was drawing the human form has not only helped me heal my body, but it's helped me heal my relationship with myself, my sport, my life. It, it's like so interesting how art does that, but, um, mainly it's really helped me heal my relationship with my body. I struggled with it for so long when I retired. So being able to draw the human form, however I want was, you know, it's like a gateway into how I felt physically as well. Um, so yeah, I just, I love it. It's been a really good outlet for me and I enjoy, yeah, I need to do more of it right now. I haven't been doing much of it lately cause we've been so busy with rise, <laughs> but it's very soothing for me. Seems like it seems like a good problem to have, but also, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people I've talked to have picked up creative outlets, especially in the last six months, um, yeah. with so much time inside and, it, it can be a, a really, a really good outlet, a really big outlet. Um, if, I mean, did you, you, you mentioned that this helped you with your own body image. Do you have, did you have ne a negative body image when you were swimming or did that more develop for you when you retired? Uh, when I retired, I like had no problems when I was swimming. Actually, I, I never, I was a bottomless pit. I would eat everything inside. I always ate very healthy but I don't, I didn't really have any negative body image feelings when I swam. Um, but it developed when I was done. I, it, for me, it was a worthiness thing, you know? So it was like, I don't need to nourish myself cause I don't deserve it. And that's like what a lot, I think a lot of women could like relate to that. You know, it's like, Oh no, don't, don't deserve that. Like, so I'm just going to not, I'm just going to not do that. Um, so that's, that was part of that process. So drawing and sketching helps me recognize the worth of every human. And even though it's line art and, and minimalist art, it, it's like a way to express the power of the body and how important that relationship is for athletes to realize, especially when they're done, that it's not just a tool to achieve X, Y, Z. It's your vessel, like the thing that you have forever that you're going to be using for all sorts of different things in life. Um, so it's helped me detach that this is just like for a reason, you know, like here's my body. It's just for a reason. Sorry about the dump truck. Um, it's okay. And then like, here's my body. I'm able to do a lot of things with it. So um, yeah, it's really, really helped me, especially after that, those couple of years of all the injuries and stuff. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. And that's, that's such a cool thing to find an outlet that, um, that does have that healing effect like that. Um, well, Caroline, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any parting thoughts before we sign off here? No, I just want to thank you for bearing with me and all my rambles. Um, I just, again, this is such a cool opportunity. I know for you guys, you do this all the time. Um, but I, I mainly do other style podcasts now. And so to do something with you guys is really, really special to me. So I really appreciate it a lot. And thank you for the time today. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on and talk with us about your swimming and non-swimming related uh, experiences. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm always open to, to talk more. So if anyone's listening and 
has anything they want to talk about, I'm around. <laughs> You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.